It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 4th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the podcast. This is going to be a short intro because uh, I have for you a really great segment as I put a bow on the 2020 Mets and the season. Last week, we had a chance to talk about the surprising news and the hiring of Sandy Alderson after Steve Cohen takes over to be his uh, baseball operations vice president of both baseball and business and went into that. This week, we really just talk about the 2020 Mets and and maybe regardless of who's in charge and, and what's going to happen, some of the direction they need to go. So Justin Toscano of the record, a really talented young beat reporter on uh, covering the Mets for the last two years, uh, one of my favorites. You could check him out on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Check him out at the record. He does some great work. Uh, he's going to join me. You'll ha- actually join me this morning, earlier in the day, and you'll have a chance to hear that conversation, a real lengthy conversation as we get into not only the Mets – and the season and, and what happened and what we think or where they should potentially go, but also covering the team, uh, the game itself, maybe some of the rules that were implemented and where they're going to go. Rob Manfred had a, a pretty interesting conversation with John Heyman earlier this week about some of the new rules, so I'll bring those up. So we'll get into all that and also how different it was covering the Mets and covering baseball in 2020. So let's take a quick break. When we return, you'll hear my conversation and sit down with Justin Toscano of the record right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. I'm joined by the beat writer for the record, Justin Toscano. It's been a while since we had a chance to talk to him. Uh, Another season in the books, no postseason, but the fun is just beginning. And uh, Justin, uh, welcome to the program. And 60-game sprint, but for you and you guys on the beat, different way of covering the game, uh, different rules. Uh, It probably didn't feel like 60 games, and obviously uh, the stress of trying to keep yourself within the regulations and safe and healthy. So glad you're hanging in there, and, uh, you know, are you you taking a little break now from the the wild and wacky summer? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Mike. It was, uh, yeah, good to make it through, but um, 60 games felt like, you know, I kind of sat with Luis Rojas on this one when he said a couple times that 60 games felt like, longer than 60 games just because of the schedule and all the protocols and the regulations and everything you had to do just to be able to, to go to work that day. So yeah, it's been nice to, um, to, to chill out a little bit and uh, at least just, just kind of um, decompress, I guess, I guess would be the, would be the right word, but you know, it was fun. Glad they got to play baseball in, in 2020. And I think it was, uh, you know, a lot of people throughout the country, whether they want to admit it or not, um, are, are probably grateful inside that, that they did get something else to, to think about, to watch during this, this summer. 
I'm curious, and I, I haven't had a chance to really get anybody's opinion that covered the game day in and day out, but not having any fans in the stands, I'm not sure there's really a home field in baseball. Other than, well, Actually, there really is because of the bottom of the ninth. But in terms of the fans and the energy, it's so hard to quantify that. Did you see a difference? I felt that – I'll give you the only difference I saw. I felt a place like Yankee Stadium wasn't as intimidating without the fans. Uh, I think some ballparks were downright quiet. It was like a church, for lack of a better word. When you went there, City Field, I think they tried to put some some noise, either whether it's through the broadcast or not. But you were there at the ballpark. Uh, Was this like Sunday morning softball? Was this like – uh, you know, when, when I'm sure you played ball when you were a kid, you know, when you used to go to the field and you had the parents and close friends and it was quiet. Was it like that? What what was it like? Because I, I got that, you know, it brought me back to my youth on, uh, you know, Sunday morning in the, on 18th Avenue in, in Brooklyn, uh, playing in the church league and whatnot a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was basically, uh, basically your, your rec league or, or beer league softball where you get a a few of the, you know, you might, you might hear the crack of the bat, then you get a few cheers from your buddies. Um, but yeah, it was, it was eerie, man. It was, um, they pumped the crowd noise in. So it, at least at city field that was going pretty consistently, like in terms of throughout the game, it would be set to, to kind of a murmur. So there was always, always some noise, but um, the moments, you know, during at bats and whatnot, and after hits, you know, you just hear, a couple, you know, the cheers from the dugout, but it doesn't sound like much, obviously, because you're used to 40,000 fans or 30,000 fans, whatever it may be. It was, it was eerie. I, I didn't like it. And, it, you know, it, I mean, I think the, your, your point on that, the bigger conversation is that it's so hard to quantify what a home field advantage does or might do to a certain team. But I do think, you know, this Mets team, I mean, we saw it last year. I do think they, they rely on the crowd maybe more than most teams, and I I don't know why. I think that might come with, with having a young core and a bunch of guys who are, who are trying to make a name for themselves that, that might just feed off the energy more earlier in, in their careers or earlier in their stages where they are, you know, a regular for, for some of the first times. Um, but it was weird, man. Yeah, it was just – it was strange, especially the moments when – there'd be like a technical difficulty and, and you wouldn't hear the crowd noise for, you know, five seconds or so. It was just like in summer camp, it was just pure silence. And it was uh, just weird not having fans, the ballpark, um, foul balls clank off the seats. Uh, nobody, yeah, nobody's there. It's just, um, it's just quiet other than that murmur. And I didn't like it. It was, it was a weird, you get used to it, but it's just obviously something you hope you never have to do again in your life. And you talk about the sport and marketing the sport. I know there's been a lot of talk about this. Uh, you know, there's always right. polls and what have you coming out about different generations and even current generations. But I looked at the mic'd up with Pete Alonzo, which I thought was cool. And I know they've mic'd up players at different points in spring training and whatnot. Uh, and I listened to Keith Hernandez recently on a, on a podcast that was on a few weeks ago. And he was like, when I played, I won't want to touch it. And, and the funny part is, it, you know, I heard some from, and I didn't cover at the ballpark, but from home, uh, I specifically remember the one time I heard the dugout the loudest was when Jeff McNeil hit that three-run homer against the Phillies. I think that was on Labor Day yes. weekend. Uh, and how on Labor how, Day, yeah, yeah, and that was really cool. That was really cool getting that. But with way the world is, how these guys, even if they are they're as as uh, angelic as they can be in the dugout, you wonder, uh, you know, can you really get that intimate with the players now? Because they're going to curse. I mean, Jeff McNeil's a perfect example. He's going to curse. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've been there. Uh, sometimes you're mad. 
uh, you know, jokes sometimes, no matter how innocuous, are going to uh, be taken the wrong way. It's a shame because I think you know you saw how these guys are not just like sitting in the dugout. They're not like how you and I were when we were eight years old, yelling and screaming at every pitch. At least that's how it used to be right. when I played. But but they're not they're not these stoic professionals. And it'd be it'd be cool to get more of that. I just don't know if you could pull it off. I I saw Pete's you know montage. It was I I got the sense some people ran away from him when he said, "Hey, listen, I'm mic'd up," you know, and you don't know what you're gonna say. So what? What are your thoughts? You know, how can you bring some of what you experience at the ballpark maybe to, you know, the normal season? Let's say let's hope that 2021 gets more normal with fans and and attendance and things like that. Yeah, that's that's hard in terms of marketing the game. I think the biggest issue I wrestle with with that is I love the idea of players being mic'd up. I think for the younger generation, I'm talking, you know, I'm 24, but I'm talking people younger than me because, right, like when my generation goes through, it's going to be the people who are 10, 11, 12 years old right now that are really going to need to, I mean, carry kind of the game of baseball and it's, it's fandom. So I like it for them because I think, I think it gives them a way to maybe see that their favorite stars are, are a little more relatable or, or see those conversations. And I love that stuff personally, but the thing that I wrestle with and this may be, you know, not being as naive, is that, yeah, you're not going to, you know, uh, the guys aren't going to talk trash at first base when you're mic'd up, or they're not going to, obviously, they're not going to use the the stuff. You know, they're cutting the perfect segments for them to use, right. segments that are a little more angelic. So it's like, you know, I talk to friends about this all the time. Is it like, it, are you really getting anything that's that's natural? You know what I mean? Like, are you really? Do you want, here's the better you, part, you might be. do they want natural? Does does it change? It's exactly. going to change your view on people. It's going to change your view on people sometimes. Uh, you never know. And I'm not saying they're going to say, you know, go on a rant of some sorts, but you don't know what they say or how there's lingo that you and I don't use. I mean, Keith Hernandez has used lingo like Snappy Tom for curveball. What, you know, who the hell knew what that was? Not that that's a bad thing, but right. you never know how somebody takes it, right? So that's where right. you got to ask people, do you really want it? You know what I'm saying? And 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 then are you going to get the do you want you know that that natural but but are you even going to get a slice of that because look if i'm if i'm somebody near you know pilons or somebody on the team and you know I, I don't even know if i would want to be mic'd up i would try to do it to grow the game if i were playing but man i i've always felt in this age of social media you say one wrong thing that's taken the wrong way even if you don't mean it like that or even if it's just yep. out of context and you're done. Like you're, you know, people, your reputation's changed forever. So, I mean, I would, I, it's scary from that perspective too, but I think going forward, what you can do is I think you gotta maybe just do like the first base mic. Cause I think the, you know, the little, the conversation at the beginning of the season with, with Freddie was a little, you know, cute moment, you know, whatever, stuff like that. I think you can do um, the stuff that, you know, I'm not sure about is, uh, the other day, the A's White Sox game three, they had Loriano, you know, mic'd up and they were doing an in-game interview with him. And I'm like, if I'm playing a winner take all game three or, or my team's play, it's like, who wants to do an, an in-game interview? Like, I don't know those if that are, part those of it is right. Those are always exactly, what do you, what do you, exactly. You, Justin, you're writing. Okay, maybe this is a bad example. You're writing your game just ended. Now you're writing your game story. Let me throw a microphone in your face and start doing what we're doing right now. Give me three minutes, Justin. What are you going to give me? A, B. You want to get it in right. as quick as possible. 
Uh, not the perfect example, but I think we forget about that. And it would annoy me too. And, right. and I know they do it in the NBA. Um, I think it would be better to do the boom mic like they do in the, the old NBA. So just do the boom mic where you'd hear, I guess they would edit out the, the conversation in the huddle. Now they grab the coach. All right, you play good. De- it, it, to me, it's, it's force feeding us content when I really just want to watch the game. I, I'll tell you what, for me, again, watching at home, the one thing I think that was good it was more about the game this year and I just got to watch the game and that's it. Cause I mean, I'm not the t-shirt. Yeah. I appreciate the boot and the banter and, and things like that. And I know that I'm, you know, I'm the old school fan, even though I'm not that old, but to me, it was like, give me the nine innings. And then, you know, yeah, you got the zoom, but I can look at that after and I'm out. Like I don't need all the other stuff. And sometimes I think that's what, you know, drowns out the game. Now I'm probably in a very small minority on that, but, to a certain degree, there's a balance, and I don't think we've, we've figured that one out. So it's interesting how this season, not talked about, but that's even part of it. Right, and I, I think if you want to do, you know, it, they did – it was more about the game, and I like how they how they did try some of that stuff to, to grow the game and, and kind of to, to give us that content because I think there are some people, especially younger people, who, who do enjoy it. And it's like if you want to do that and doing it during the game becomes an issue – Look, do it during batting practice. You know, there's so many pictures this week, for example, of uh, Christian Yelich talking to Cody Bellinger. And it's like, mic him up during batting practice or something. Give people an interaction like that. Or, you know, the first base mic, I think, is is good. You know, I mean, you've got to edit out the stuff. But, hey, if people – I think for the most part, people enjoyed it and it was a success. So I think you have to roll with that. But I think, you know, I think the dugout stuff is cool. Um I just think that you have to continue doing that, but I think that people look if people are going to be upset about it not being natural, you know, you don't want it to be natural. So it's like right. it, it's a tough it's a tough line to walk because you also have you know you have those ten, eleven, twelve year olds who it's kind of like the Instagram age, right? So it's like those they, that's what they see is like those highlight clips and content like that, and and it's like you want you know these kids to to like the game because the NBA is doing so much of this stuff to be relatable and uh, baseball should too. But, but it's, it's a, it's a fine line to walk because I, that's why I struggle with it is what we mentioned is like, do you want anything natural? I mean, you're not really getting, you know, we, the lingo and then plus the curse words and then obviously the, the clubhouse language these guys often use. Um, I do feel bad for them sometimes, you know, there's always mics in their face nowadays. So it's like, they've got to watch every single little thing they say when they're around their buddies. Um, but yeah, it's Absolutely. tough, man. But I do, I do like how this year was definitely was more geared to the game. Justin Toscano beat reporter for the record at Justin C Toscano on Twitter. All right. I want to get to the Mets, but, but also one other thing, as we talk about the season, I heard Rob Manfred the other day um, with, John Heyman and Tony Gwynn Jr. And he, the three things that are always being brought up, the three rule changes. Forget the three battle rule that was going to be in play, and it, it is what it is, and I don't yeah. think it's going anywhere. Uh, you got the seven-inning doubleheaders, you got the DH, and you got the runner on second uh, after the, the, yeah. the ninth inning. From what it sounds from Manfred, the only one that – or if I was a betting person, the runner on second has yeah. the best shot at staying. I was surprised because I thought it would be the DH – in a game of an action, I think the DH is essential in the National League. It's very important for the Mets, I believe. Then the seven-inning doubleheaders, I know I make a lot of jokes on Twitter, but, I mean, I just can't – it just can't wrap my head around it. It's, it's, it's changing results. I think part of me understands the attraction to it, 
but baseball is it's like taking an NFL game and making it three quarters, three and a half quarters, or taking a hockey game, making it two periods, or a basketball game. I'm like, all right, maybe you know the best analogy is how you could change overtime in the NHL, but uh, I just the only thing I think that they should keep is the DH in the National League. But it sounds like that bottom of the ninth, tenth inning runner on second. Yeah, so I thought for a year like this, seven inning doubleheaders was was fine. You know, you're playing a lot of them. We saw that a lot of teams needed to fit them into a 60 game schedule. I don't, you know, I think for that purpose, it's good because guys are, you know, bullpens are more rested. Guys are are getting off their feet a little more. In a normal season, I don't think you're going to have enough doubleheaders to to really justify it. And um, one thing I meant, the one thing Brad Brock, when I asked him about it, you know, when they're at Yankee Stadium, mentioned a good point. He was like, you know, they're fine, but I would have to look at the splits of like how, you know, if the stats are different for seven inning doubleheaders, where if the first team wins the first one, then they're more likely to win the second one for seven inning or whatever it may be. And you got to think about stuff like that. I think that one's fine to go back to the way it was next year. I I liked it for this year, keep the guys safe, but in a normal season, the way they've always done it is fine. I don't need to go home earlier, and I think that's why a lot of, you know, the reporters like some of this stuff is, is they want to go home. I, it's my, fine. My you wife know, liked it. Keep, keep, my wife liked it, the seven yeah. innings. She's like, oh, the game's over? That's great. You know, my wife liked it, but that's that's not the target audience. <laughs> right, right. And then, and then the DH – absolutely needs to stay. I mean, the most fun part of this year, arguably, was seeing how the Mets, the Phillies, how all these teams used kind of those, their their rotations of the DH to, to make their rosters more versatile. And I think for the Mets, especially going forward, they, I mean, they got to hope the DH is, is, right. is in play or, or they're going to have a big issue. Now, I've gone back and forth on the runner on second. I think it's nice when you, you obviously two teams that day just just don't have it. It's been a slog of a game, and so you're you're thinking, man, I don't know who's going to push one across. But luckily, the the runners on second. Now going forward in a normal year, if I had a vote to that, I I like the rule, but I feel like it delegitimizes the game a little bit because I don't like the fact that you know, hey, uh, a Chase and Shreve could go out there, whoever, pick your random reliever name, and he might throw a good pitch, but a blooper scores a run. And I don't and that's think it. that's, you it's know. Over. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, and I don't think that's, and I get, yeah, I get your team has the same chance with the same runner on second, but it's like, it, you know, it, at least for those outcomes in, you know, normal, in a normal game, it's like you've got a chance to, to get that guy out or, or race him with a double play, whatever it may be, or, or strand a runner on second. But it's like, I don't like how that rule sort of delegitimizes the game, in my view. Like, I like the rule. I think it's made it more, I think it's made baseball more interesting because I'm wondering, man, like, this could really go in a million different places, especially because the teams could score a lot and whatnot. But it's, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think I like it for, for a regular year. Um, and yeah, so so we've got that. The seven inning doubleheaders can go back to that can go back to nine. But I, I do want the DH. That's the one I'm I'm strong on. Is I think, I mean I think it's just a necessity. Why are these American League teams getting to? You know I don't, we don't need to see pitchers hit. And I, right. I'm sorry to Zach Wheeler, Jacob Degrom, I'll, I'll no tell you, I'll tell you, but, Justin. 
I ran down all the pitcher at bats, and if you just hit, had pitchers and Ashley hit, it was something like watching two weeks homestands worth of baseball of just pitchers offensively. Think about that. No, I, I just yeah. did it real quick. It's simple math from baseball reference, how many at bats they had. And I said to everybody, I go, do you realize we watch two innings, I mean two weeks of baseball of just pitchers hitting? In a normal year, it's like kind of taking telling people, look at your finances and look how much you spend on coffee and then look how many weeks you have right. to work to make that back. I guess maybe I'm, I'm breaking it down to, you know, granular, but um, I'm very surprised that the, the, this would be an issue unless it's about keeping I, salaries down. That's the only thing I could think of. Uh, I, yeah, I can't imagine that's, that's why anybody only, would want it. Can't imagine. Right. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of because it, it literally adds a job. I mean, it literally, so you're thinking from the players' union standpoint, I mean, it literally adds a job. I mean, why wouldn't you be every player that, that's been asked about it, you know, except for some, some of the pitchers wish they could hit, but every player has liked it. And look, like, at 95% of those pitchers, a guy like, you know, DeGrom might like taking his occasional at bat or, or Bumgarner, obviously, or Zach Wheeler might wish he got his occasional at bat. But one, those guys are getting to stay in the dugout and, and stay fresh and rested. And two, I mean, I don't think people know to, you know, people really grasp because, you know, they've never had the DH in the NFL, like how brutal it is just to see 98% of pitchers go up there and flail at three pitches. Like that's no fun for the, and, and I mean, you might Here's as well have secret. an extra element of strategy. Here's the dirty secret. You don't have to accept the DH. That's in the rules. You could just say, I don't want it. I'm pretty sure that's in the yeah. rules. The right. team could say, hey, my pitcher's hitting today. And that's it. it? So if oh, Grom well, you, wants you to could. hit, I mean, the Grom wants to hit. Yeah. No one's stopping him. I mean, I think that would, in an analytics-based world, I don't know how that would play out. But uh, when the other team has a, a live bat there, but maybe that's a Billy Martin. Let's shake up the lineup. Uh, something that happens down down the road. Now, when it comes to the Mets, I, I've been telling everybody this: what the Mets season really took a bad turn in the middle of the pandemic chaos back in March when Noah Syndergaard went down. And I thought they yeah. could still, in a short sprint with Stroman, figure out a way to make the playoffs. And I believe they would have. But once Stroman said, no mas, this was a pitching staff that unless the bullpen really, really, really stepped up, when the amount of walks, and nobody talks about this, the amount of walks coming out of that bullpen is, is abomination. That was it's like top five. No, forget about the bullpen. The, two, the pitchers they have in that bullpen are high walk guys historically. And that's an issue. High strikeout, but high walk, guys. Um, this was a 90-loss profile team. Great offense, maybe top five. Actually, you probably could argue with the the advanced run creation stats. They are a top five offense in all yeah. of baseball. And that's not their problem. Uh, their problem no. is the rotation fell apart, expired like milk, and you have a bullpen that was built. And this is the, probably the only – this is a criticism that goes even back before Brody Van Wagenen, but this is probably the one criticism on if you want to really – nail them to the proverbial cross, uh, is the walks. And you cannot win with both of those things. And everyone brings up the Braves, but the Braves' bullpen may not have been lights out all the time, but they didn't walk the amount of people that the Mets did. So to me, that's what no one talks about. This season ended a lot longer than September 30th, or September 27th, the last day. Right, right. And I think um, you saw uh, the, the walks, the free passes, They those were an issue dating back to that, you know, that, that series – against Atlanta, the first series, and then, and then really became a prevalent issue in that second series against Boston, um, you know, the one at City Field. And it, it was an issue throughout the year where maybe the bullpen, even when they were pitching well, 
they were still walking guys. And that was really like kind of the, the boogaboo, if you, if you will. But I really thought that, I mean, it was going to be tough without, without Syndergaard, but in a 60 game season, when I, I kind of drew it up in my head, I was like, okay, if you've got DeGrom, you know, Stroman, Matt's, you know, see who follows, whatever. I, I thought they could have done it with Stroman because at least that gives you another guy you, you think is going to be reliable. I guess we, I guess we never, you know, we'll never know. But when, you know, the, I know a lot of people like to talk about the, the hitting with runners in scoring position. Like, look, ladies and gentlemen, you don't need to score eight or nine runs a game when, when your pitcher isn't putting you in a 5-1 hole to begin with, right? Like, and that was right. the issue is really this team was out of games but before the fourth inning at times. And I, I, always, I always wondered, you know, nobody would ever admit this when you'd ask them, but I always wondered how that affects an offense when in the bottom of the second inning you're going up there and you already trail 4-0 or something like that. Like, do you press more? And it's like it, it throws off the entire balance of the team. And, and we, we began to see it where you'd have a good DeGrom start. David Peterson was, was good on his days for the most part. But then, look, you know, Rick Porcello, Michael Walker, those, those you know, bombs of, of starts cannot happen. But what I will say is to your Stroman point, had Marcus Stroman been on the team – you're not relying as much on a Michael Waka. You're not relying as much on a Rick Porcello. Heck, you don't. You probably don't even need to stretch out two starters. Maybe you needed to use Lugo at one point, but or you know, or but you're not doing him and Gesellman at the same time. And so I think that was really what we learned this season. If anything, you know, we learned many things, but if if only one thing is that that rotation, I mean, has has got to be overhauled going forward because you know, that was really a fatal flaw of, of a team that I thought had a lot of talent. I mean, you, I think it was a top five offense. You know, if you want to mash together all those categories, especially, you know, those, those metrics, weighted run trade plus, you know, PS, whatever you want to do. But that was a top five offense that, that legitimately on most nights didn't have a chance because of its pitching staff. Yep. And all the other top offenses are in the postseason. Just a Descano yep. uh, beat reporter uh, for the record. Uh, Steven Matz. I like Steven Matz. Lefties develop late. I'm left-handed. Maybe I'm biased on that. But I think of, you know, sometimes I think of like Sid Fernandez, how looking back, you know, uh, and Matz has not been as good as Sid Fernandez. That's a very underrated pitcher. Um, but he's a disaster. And I don't know, maybe he was hurt. I mean, he did pitch poorly the first weekend of the season. Uh, back when he was coming up, a lot of there was a few scouts that thought he was better than Syndergaard, and he was pitching in the Pacific Coast League. If you remember, I believe that was when they were still in. Yeah, they were in Vegas at that point. Um, the falling off the cliff you saw this year is concerning. Now I know everybody's ready up, just non-tenderum team short on pitching, lefty. Yeah. Uh, grew up with the organization from the area. I know he doesn't live here anymore. There's a lot to like there. Now maybe similar to Travis Darno, who I believe is doing better because he's out of here. Maybe he needs it. Um, you know, I, I think he, he's key to why this, this staff fell off the cliff. And I think he's a somewhat right. key to getting it more respectable outside of having them go out and do what people want them to do, which is spend on free agents. I, what about Steven Matz? Because that's the guy that I'm, I'm scratching my head because I don't know how to break down what I see on paper, what I saw on a field. It's overly disappointing. And the only other thing I can think of is, one of two things. Either he's got to get out of here. He's a local guy that's just been here. Been here since 2009. That's a long time. And yeah. uh, he's hurt. Maybe that's the other thing. Yeah. The way I – I mean, I, I've seen a lot of chatter on social media about, you know, non-tendering him. Um, 
I get he's going into that, that next arbitration year, that final one, and, you know, you think usually that's when guys' cost goes up. But with his performance, I don't think his will, you know, at least significantly. And, and I, I, I think I think it's worth keeping him because you've got to overhaul that rotation. You hope whatever direction you go, maybe you sign Marcus, re-sign Marcus Stroman if you want to go after Trevor Bauer, whatever you do. But – Stephen Matz, I mean, has shown, especially the last couple of years, that he did have stretches. He did have a good stretch of, of 2019, even if the issues persisted somewhat around it. Um, you know, I right now I kind of lean more toward giving him a full offseason with, with Ocardo and, and Jeremy Hefner and seeing if they can get some of this stuff right in, in spring training. Uh, the thing I am worried about, though, is the thing that a lot of people have brought up is you know, when you watch the broadcast and you see those shots, you know, mentally he just looks rattled on the mound a, a lot when, when things start to happen and he can never seem to to kind of find his, his center like somebody like, you know, David Peterson could where he would he would navigate out of traffic. For Steven Matz, it would only get worse when, when things got started to get bad. And, and that's what really worries me. But, hey, maybe, you know, like he – they felt like he found – you know, some stuff with his, with his pitches, found some things to apply. He's got to stay away from the home run ball though. And I think that's obviously like, if he can, you know, if he can avoid that next year, you know, he'll be a lot better. It's just getting there. And I think, but I do think with, with the rotation, look with their situation, I don't think it hurts to bring him back. I think you give him a full year. This was a weird season he obviously didn't have a second half to, to improve and, and he hardly had much of the first half because he, he was injured after that. And I, the way I break it down is weird season for him. I know he hasn't been great the past few years. People are ready to give up on him, but yes, lefty guy who's, who's homegrown, you know, he's, he's from the area. I mean, I think he cares about the organization. He does look, he does a lot for the community and I know people don't want to hear that, but, but having a guy like that on your team, is is respectable and he is always committed to that he's always committed to to helping those you know first responders and their families and that's look that you know whether you want to admit it or not that's a big thing here and that's important and um and i think performance wise i would give him a full year to see if he can sort this out especially because you know they hired hefner late and and spring training was weird then you have the shutdown and guys are working out themselves Look, it's just going to affect guys different than than others, and that's not an excuse for Matts, who, like, let's well, just not sugarcoat it was just awful this year, terrible. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't have imagined a worse year for Stephen Matts when you drew it up before the season. But, you know, I think with a talented lefty, like, I mean, he's obviously got talent, he's got the stuff. I think there's a lot to like there. Um, I personally wouldn't non-tender him. Well, and and when you talk about the rotation, you can't talk about it without. Seth Lugo, what I would do is have him prepare coming into spring training to earn a spot. In a way, you know, he could give you number three level performance if he stays healthy. Uh, I know he had his ups and downs. Again, 60 games. I said at the beginning, I'm not going to go crazy one way or the other about results this year because I don't think it's fair because of the conditions that we've already talked about. I would start him as a starter, and if he doesn't do well in spring training or shows any signs, you know he could relieve. Now, that bouncing back and forth could hurt him on the relieving part, but to me, I would just go in and at this point say, hey, I got DeGrom, I got Lugo, I got Peterson, I got to fill two spots, and I got my depth. 
And maybe right now Matt's is depth. I don't know if they want to make Lugo their depth. I don't know how deep they want to make the wallet go this offseason. But to me, I would just have him prepare, regardless of what you saw, which was up and down at the end of the year, I would have him prepare to be a starter, Seth Lugo. I would as well. I think, um, look, you know, the ups and the downs, especially some of those velocity decreases at the end of the year were kind of concerning. But I think, I think a lot of that, when you look at it, it's not easy to, to build up, you know, in the rotation and in the middle of a season when you're, especially when, you know, the team's kind of pushing for a playoff berth. I would give him, I would tell him to prepare as a starter, give him that trial run in spring training, kind of what you're talking about. I, I do think he earned a spot and I do think he, you know, he's talented enough to, to carry that through a full season. As you said, if he, if he stays healthy, that's personally what I would do. Um, but it does depend on, I mean, there are those people out there who think they're just going to spend, 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 and, and Cohen's going to just empty his pockets to, to fix every yeah, they, single issue they on the team. They said that about I, John Middleton. I, they said that about John Middleton. How's that working out? You know, you got to be careful. Exactly. Yes. I, I would be wary. Yeah. With, with, uh, you know, uh, how did Brandon Nimmo say it about this topic? Counting your, you know, your chickens before they hatch. But I yep. would – Lugo, look, he's shown you that he can be a good starter this year and in the small sample size. I get that. But you tell him to prepare. You have him – at this point, I think he's earned his spot more than Steven Matz has. I think Steven Matz is a guy that going into spring training, going into the season, is really going to have to show you a lot to tell you he, he, he belongs in the rotation um, because you've also got David Peterson. But I think Seth Lugo – you know, look at, look at mo- most of his lines. They were all pretty respectable. And I mean, it was, um, except for, you know, the, the couple at the end of the season there, but I think, I think that's what you do with him is you, you kind of just tell him to prepare as a starter. He's earned it. You know, he can go back to the bullpen. Don't bounce him back and forth. That's, that's not good. But I think, look, I think this is a guy who's earned a spot in your rotation. I can't see him I you know I think I think you know what you have with him as a starter at at this point. I can't see him regressing in some ridiculous way we never expected. Then again, I I thought that about Stephen Matz. Exactly, Justin Toscano, beat reporter for the record. Uh, on the offensive side, there's not a lot to talk about there. It's a good offense. I know defensively up the middle they need to improve. Uh, I'd be very careful about just you know giving away J.D. Davis or Brandon Nimmo. Uh, but I think the big conversation that's starting to happen. <laughs> is this, especially, and it will be a very big conversation if the DH is, is null and void, is Pete Alonso versus Dom Smith. So here, here's a couple of ways right. I looked at it. Number one, I think we need to understand who Pete Alonso really was. I think we had a, maybe because of the 53 home, 53 home runs, we thought he was a different, more complete hitter. You go back to last year, 2019, it was a stretch, specifically the second half. The second half, Pete Alonso mirrors very much the total numbers that you saw this year. Now, those numbers are more bunched, and he did chase a lot more. He wasn't as patient. That's obvious to any novice eye. But with over 162 games, that might have evened itself out with some time and less stress to perform. Uh, He went through a period from about July 2nd. If you go to baseball reference, just sort it out. From July 2nd to about August 15th, he went through a period of struggle that very much was like what you saw this year. And defensively, he was good, but we always knew he wasn't as good as Dom Smith. Now, on the flip side, Dom Smith, went through a really great 60-game stretch, similar to what Alonzo did in the first half. He didn't have to do long road trips. He didn't have to do West Coast trips. He wasn't in the all-star game with all that pressure. Uh, He didn't have the dog days of summer. He didn't have uh, any pro-extended streak 
You only faced one division, really, in the American League East. So how can you assess, let's throw one to the Wolves, let's keep one. I think you keep both. If you have the DH, it's perfect. I'm not sure he's an outfielder, uh, uh, Dom, but <laughs> he, he's played it okay, and give him credit. Um, I don't know if you can keep both without the DH, but let's assume the DH is here. Why would you even make it one versus the other when you know what you got in one, and you got to start to accept his flaws, and you really need to start to learn what you have in the other? I love Dom Smith. I think he's been a great story. He's a great, great story. And I don't think people – and it's not just about the social justice issues. That's one good thing. How he's turned his career around is a template for what people should really look at and what you can do with hard work and self-awareness. So why get rid of one or the other? Just just keep both. That's the way I look at it. I mean I completely agree. I think it would be extremely <clears throat> short-sighted to, to, to you know, think about those – to, to really go into those contingency plans now of, of, of one or the other. I mean, especially with the DH, look, even if it doesn't sound super likely it'll stay now or at least as likely as, as a, you know, a couple of the others, I think there's really going to be teams that teams in the union that, that really fight for this. So let's assume that, that it's there. Um, as you said, yeah, I think you, you've got a guy in Alonzo who, look, despite his struggles, still finished what I think with a 43 home run pace, I think is what 16 would have been something like that. And so he's not far off from last year. Look, this is a guy who, you know, you profile him out of school. Was he really ever going to hit for average? I mean, I don't, I don't know. He was going to hit better, you know, better average than he did this year, but was he ever really going to hit for average and power? I think we, I think a lot of the, um, you made a good point there. A lot of the, the um the oohs and the ahs of of last year and everything he did might have led people to think that he was a more complete bona fide superstar you know than than he actually you know was to start his career and he's got time to grow he's still developing um and Dom Smith I mean I think the way I go with it is it's it's going to be if there's a DH next year it's going to be kind of like a a maybe a platoon to start at first. And so I think then your first evaluation tactic is, okay, does Dom Smith carry over that offensive performance? Because I think that's the separator there is we all knew his glove was better than, than Pete, but I don't think ever, anybody ever expected Dom to break out in the way that, that he did, you know, over the 60 game season. So then you see next year, is he hitting at that same, I don't think, you know, the extra base hits, that, that's going to be tough to top, but is he hitting at, at a similar clip, you know, as, as he did this year? If so, then clearly he's your first base option going, you know, forward into that season. But it, to me, it's got to be a constant evaluation when, when guys are so young and, and they can change because, you know, look, I mean, I, you know, I think you, some people think, you know, you either hit or you don't. And with, with Dom, I mean, it's a testament to, to not only, you know, figuring out the sleep apnea and then, hard work and, and tweaking his swing and, and everything he did to get here. But with Pete, it could be the same, you know, we could look back in a couple of years and, and be like, wow, you know, his defense really did improve to, to close the gap at, at first with Dom. But I think that's what you are going to see next year. If Dom hits somewhat like he did this year, you're going to see him at first a lot. Pete's going to be in the DH and, and look, I know, you know, Pete obviously wants to be out there on the field, but for the Mets, that's the best case scenario because I don't think, you know, I he struggled this year, but it wasn't anything off the table. Like when I thought of huge disappointments for the Mets, 
I mean, Pete Alonso wasn't a huge disappointment to me. I mean, he struggled, but I think that's only compared to the bar of, of kind of this magical rookie yep. season where everything seemed to happen to go right. He's never been a guy who's hit, you know, who was going to hit for, for an extreme, you know, Freddie Freeman type average. I don't think, you know, nope. like I, I think, um, you know, he's this power hitter. You know what you've gotten him? Still finished at a 43 home run pace. So he wasn't far off of last year's numbers from that perspective. And I still think he gives your, you know, your lineup value, especially because, look, in a year where he's probably got more time to figure things out, he's not going to chase as much, not going to feel like he has to do too much too soon. Um, I think he will be fine. But, Mike, I tell you, going forward, I mean, I – it's hard to move away from that defense at first base after seeing what Dom no, did there I'm, pretty much night in, night out. Guy. Yeah. I'm a, listen, I think uh, they do this. I, I didn't even survive with Nimmo in center. And I've talked to a scout who's, who's who saw him a little bit and said, you know, he saw him playing Colorado and he's like, he's not bad. Uh, maybe he's not perfect for sure. Uh, you got Jimenez at short who increases and improves the defense tremendously. I know that everybody wants real Muto. I'd be really careful now with this hip and, I know there's talk now, oh, they're going to sign Springer, they're going to sign Real Muto, they're going to sign Bauer. Whatever budget they have, they better focus on pitching uh, because they could sign all the offense they want. They're going to have the same result next year if the pitching is the same way, and it could be, and it'll even be uglier because it'll be hopefully 162 games. Um, So to me, defense, you could leave the offense alone, but I think you got to look at options outside of Real Muto that are defensive-minded at catcher, and – you know, you have your situation at short, and then you got to figure out how you're going to rebuild that pitching staff. And I know everybody's talking about spend, spend, spend. Um, you know, to me, I look at John Middleton. I look at what he talked about a couple of years ago. We go through this all the time, Justin. We have these newspaper headline winning, uh, uh, you know, games in the offseason that owners like to play. Very rarely does it turn out well. There's only one team that it turned out well. It was the Yankees, and even they eventually had to pivot. It's got to be a balance, and I think the thing that you know fans I don't think are ready for is I don't know how sexy this offseason is. Let's remember, 40% of the revenue is at risk again next year. You don't know how many fans you're allowed in the ballpark, if any. And let me tell you, right. open this thing up to 100% capacity. If you're not paying attention to the friends and family around you and think that you're just going to run to that ballpark, whether there's uh, uh, the government, anybody, municipality says it's okay – they're going to need to wade their back their way back into group outings because that's just what people are. Um, so I think fans are setting themselves up for a big disappointment with this new ownership situation. And that ties into my question is, do you overhaul the front office in the middle of all this and get rid of the GM who has, you know, worked under the same conditions as uh, the, pro- the predecessors that seem to be getting a pass? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I think the the two – I think the thing that goes against Brody, I you can't trade your, your starting pitching depth. And then two, look, you know, it's it's been reported that, you know, J.D. Davis, that acquisition, then keeping Jeff McNeil or strong, strong Adam Gutridge, you know, a Adam Gutridge getting into to Brody's ear. So that doesn't look good for Brody. But the way I have always, you know, defend – not even defended him to give him a free pass on everything – but the way I have always rationalized this is that, look, hey, if you or I were the GM of, you know, of the New York Mets and we had an open checkbook like, like a, a Brian Cashman or somebody like that, don't you think it'd be a heck of a lot easier to, to be one of the quote-unquote best GMs in baseball? I do think that, look, the, 
the type of prospect value that Brody gave away, especially toward the beginning of his tenure with that Cano Diaz trade, to me, on the outside, that screams, I know we're not going to get anybody in free agency. I know the owners aren't going to open the book. So I've got to find some other way to improve this roster now to go along with the young core we have. And so I can understand it from that point, tearing down the, I mean, that's going to be tough. You look at, you know, it depends on when Cohen gets improved, gets approved. And then say, let's say that's, let's even say that's later this month at the soonest. So if it's later this month, then you go, you've got Sandy coming in, right? And then are you going to overhaul the front office middle of November? How long is it going to take you to hire you know, those people, guys? People act how, like how Sandy's been watching get them the into place? Yeah, Sandy hasn't been watching the team for that. For all you know, he was a consultant. He may not have been watching much baseball for two years. Nobody knows what he's so been doing it, for two years. You know? It's, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard it's to overhaul positions like that. Um, what I could see them doing is giving – giving somebody, you know, like Brody, putting him under Sandy and, and giving him kind of an evaluation year to see like, hey, we're going to open the checkbook a little more, whatever it may be, or you're not even open the checkbook more, but just give you a little more freedom, not not hamstring you to, to things that ownership wants you to do, to let you do your own job and see how he goes from there. Because look, I think anybody would do a worse job, you know, under the Wilpons than under an ownership that, you know, an ownership group that, that might let you let you be you a little bit more. And I think we have to understand that. I think it's just, it's hard. You know, you got to point to the top, but I, I think it's risky to overhaul the front office, especially because I do think, you know, and, and Gutridge and some others, I do think there's, there's some good pieces there. And uh, the thing you have to leave in place is the scouting department. I mean, I think they've done a phenomenal job, um, you know, even through the years, but it's a risk. And I, I don't, it's kind of like I said earlier, I wouldn't count your chickens before they, they hatch. I think this is a good thing for Mets fans, this ownership change. But, look, these things take time. And, and we've seen, look at the Dodgers. When was the last time they had a mar- super marquee starting pitching edition for more than a year or two? You know, like that, that they it's these guys are pumping out guys because they can, you know, get the, the big free agents, but they're also pumping them out from the farm system, right? And so I think sure. it's got to be a balance like that. You can't just buy, 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 because that's not what, you know, team chemistry also matters, you know? So you can't yep. just put yep. nine players on a field together. I mean, it's got to be a mix and you've got to build, you've got to build throughout the organization. You've got to make something sustainable. And I think, um, but I, you know, I do get it from Mets fans perspective. You know, you see the Yankees trying to buy everybody your whole life. So you, you kind of want that. I, I just, you know, I don't I don't like expectations, Mike, because then it sets you up for disappointment. And I would just be, if I were a Mets fan, I would be a little, just a little wary. You know, I'd be, I'd wait till eva- to evaluate it. No, absolutely. And look, you see in the post today, you know, Mets could go after Bowers, Springer, Real Muto. Uh, if you told me two out of three, I'd take Real Muto and, and Bauer. And because Bauer would be a short-term deal, you better be ready to eat some money on the back end of Real Muto. I'll warn everybody now. I mean, look, the last big free agent catcher they signed, Mike Piazza, he was, you know, declined significantly. Still a very good player, but declined in the back half of that contract. Um, and by today's standards, he would be a bad value with the kind of contract that he is, although we know that was a different situation. So, but that's fantasy baseball. And, um, you know, to me, uh, Bauer would be interesting, let's put it that way, in New York uh, with his uh, outspokenness. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's a fun off season, and uh, the only question I have is, are you going to be John Middleton in two years? That's what could happen. 
And then, yeah, you could rebuild the farm system and the analytics department and all that stuff uh, in the in the 24 months subsequent from here. But that's where I think the fans want, and we've seen it happen. And and believe me, that's going to be interesting. You know, this guy was planning on a big gala when he first thought he was going to get, by reports anyway, a named owner before it broke down. So, you know, a guy who spends 150 G's on art, uh, yeah, he's going to be measured in his business, and Sandy Alderson certainly will help him there. But you don't think he's got an ego and would love to have the front of that newspaper this winter with those signings? Imagine that, Justin. You'd be a busy bee all off season. You wouldn't be doing it at the winter meetings. It'd be sitting from home, but that's a good deal for you. Gives you plenty of stuff to do while you sit home and work remotely, you know? So it'll be interesting on that. That'd be a fun off season if they could get two of those three guys. Yeah, for sure. And I think, and I think you know, even if you have got a temporary expectations, I think you have to go for two of them. Those are the two I would pick too, because look, I think, you know, even if, even if it's not optimal, your optimal defensive line, I would stick with Nimmo in, in center if you've got to come to that. Because, look, as we've said, the offense is good enough. And that's going to carry you. If you've got a good pitching staff, the offense is likely going to carry you pretty far along with that. You've got to rebuild the pitching staff. You've got to have a catcher. Um, not going to get better than, than Rio Muto, at least, you know, this offseason. And I think um, – I think you've you've got to go out. You know, you've got to go after those two hard. Uh, Bauer, I do I do wonder if he'll live up to the to the one year deals comment. Um, now seeing what happened in 2020, you know, I'm not I'm not sure how that's going to go. But I would go after those two. You've got to look. You've got to rebuild the pitching staff. I'm not even going to say retool. You have to rebuild the pitching staff um, and the starting pitching rotation. And I think uh, it's going to be interesting. It should be. Should be a fun off season, but that's where I would go. I don't think defensively they're you know they're not great, but I think they're they're good enough to to really prop that up if if they've got good offense and a and a good pitching staff. And look, I I think catcher ran. I mean we saw it this year. That was just just a glaring need. But but like you said, you've got a especially a guy who I think he is thirty now, right? Real Muto, or he's going to be turning thirty. Twenty nine thirty. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, so so you know you've almost got to you've got to be ready. You've, if if you want that, you know, as a Mets fan, you've got to be w- ready and willing to accept the fact that the last couple years of that deal, you know, may not look as good as as the first couple. All right, last thing I know uh, we've kept you here a while, and we appreciate it. Justin Toscano of the Record does great work. If you're not following on Twitter, you should be. I'm sure you are. If you're listening to this program, uh, Louis Rojas. Hard for me to evaluate the manager. I know they were just Zoom calls. I've been doing a lot of reading about, uh, you know, takes like guys like you. I know uh, SNY had, did, a, did a big piece on him and their thoughts uh, with some Mets insiders, how they felt. And he's always gotten good reviews from anybody in the game, from the Ken Rosenthal's all the way on down to beat writers like yourself. Um, he's not sexy. I know the fans, you know, they're always going to be about the big name. I was all about Girardi and the big name last off season. And when it didn't happen, I was like, all right, does it matter at this point? And Beltron was intriguing for a variety of reasons. So you had a chance to interact with him in the spring. Uh, you saw him in the summer. I know it's hotter on the iPad zooms and whatnot. Um, I think he stays. Cause I don't think Sandy Alderson is going to upset the apple cart in the manager's seat. If he is going to do something historically, that tells you he's not. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Louis Rojas? What could you give us? It's, it's it's a fan. The fans are negative because of perception from a macro, you know, 10,000, 20,000 feet above. You're a lot closer, and uh, I'm hearing some really good things. 
from what I'm, you know, all the stuff I'm reading about him. And, uh, and I don't have much to complain about other than bullpen management, which, you know, we went through that. The amount of walks in that bullpen, I'm not sure he can completely understand where to go on a night-in and night-out basis. So what were your thoughts on Luis Rojas? First of all, just, you know, a tremendous guy. Talking to him in spring training, you know, and, and you know, and not even in his just his media things, but in, in passing when we'd see him around the, the fields, just a great guy. He he carries himself like he's one of the people, right? Like I think, and I think that's that's been his, now knowing him, that's probably been his strong suit that is that has endeared him to many, is he carries himself, you know, like he's one of us. He doesn't act better than you. He, he's got a genuineness, genuine, I didn't know Mickey Calloway for long, but, you know, based on what I heard and, and other people say, Luis has a genuine, genuineness to him that, that, you know, you don't see out of, out of a lot of managers, sometimes it's an act, but with, with him, I, you know, you can tell on those, those zoom calls too. He is, he is very genuine. He's candid when, when he can be, obviously he can't blast his players all the time, but he, he's a good guy. And I think um, players love him The What you said about Sandy, I think is absolutely true. I think, and the reviews he's gotten from players. I mean, I don't think you can, if you're a new ownership group, you cannot take that lightly. I mean, this is a guy that, that they'll play hard for, presumably. Uh, 60 games in terms of from the dugout is tough to evaluate. Uh, I think Luis Rojas took a lot of the heat because some of those pitching changes or pulling the starter here in, in, in X inning versus Y or versus letting him go longer, pulling, letting him go too long. But, look, I think a lot of that was a product of just having a complete mess of a rotation which wasn't his fault. That was the hand, you know, he was dealt. And, and I think we'll learn more about him in the 162-game season. But I think what you saw at the very least was, was acumen. I mean, he's prepared for the job, obviously. And I like, personally, if I were a fan, I would like a guy who's done his time in the organization. He's paid his dues working in the minor leagues. When he worked in the minors to get extra experience, he would go manage winter ball right after that. So it was like baseball really never stopped for this guy. And then you saw, you know, all we heard about when he was hired was, well, he can communicate with the players. It's going to help him have tough conversations. And, and I think he actually put that into practice in a way we didn't see in 2019, right? He, you know, when, when Pete Alonso starts to, to struggle more and more, we see Dom Smith at first base for the foreseeable future. When Ahmed Rosario is not going, Andres Jimenez is there. And I think, the ability to, you know, we don't know how Pete Alonso took those conversations or how Ahmed Rosario took those conversations, but the ability to, you know, Robinson Cano wasn't hitting third the entire season, things like that. I think, um, I think they respect him uh, enough for, for that stuff not to be a problem. I like him. I think, I think he's going to be, God, I haven't been around, you know, a lot of managers obviously, but his demeanor plus, just his baseball acumen and what, what he had to deal with this year and how he handled it, even if they didn't make the playoffs. I think he's going to be a really good manager for, for a long time. You, uh, you think in, they have you guys cover the game the way you did this year, next year, even with some loosening restrictions? Obviously, challenges for you. Um, was it a lot harder for you? Was it, was it, were you able to do what you normally do? I mean, I know you're still newer to this beat, but – not getting the nuance with being around the clubhouse. I think that's the part people don't understand. The real advantage is when you're around the ballpark and run into somebody or happen to just have a ball player have a day where he wants to talk or an executive. Uh, it, was it much harder for you? And do you think you can navigate this? Cause 
obviously it's going to be key for uh, for you to do your job, uh, which is a high pressure job. I'm not just saying that because you're on here. I mean, you guys are competing with each other, and you're competing with uh, eyeballs that, uh, let's face it, are always being pulled and pushed in different directions, even in, in non baseball ways. Right, right. It was a lot harder. I wouldn't like it if they didn't permanently because for me, it's like I like to to tell stories and then to get these guys' emotions on things and, and to really go past the batting averages and the numbers. Cause look, these guys are a lot more than, than what they produce. And I think fans like to read those personal stories and those things, but also, and you can only get that one-on-one in the clubhouse, right? You're not going to be able to hold up a, a zoom call asking six of your questions for one of those stories. You can try. You can um, try. I'd like to see you try. Yeah. It'd be fun. It'd be, it'd be good. It would be good theater on the, uh, on the zoom. <laughs> seriously, seriously, to see everybody else's annoyed face. On the flip side, uh, though, the uh, another good point about this is, hey, if we're not in the clubhouse, a lot of times you're not able to ask, you know, say Pete Alonso's, say Pete Alonso's chase rate goes down a, a bunch next year, and you ask, you know, that's you notice that, and and you ask him, and he's like, well, I did this, you know, worked with this, this, and this in the off season, or, or like a pitcher, like I worked at, you know, drive line and and did this, this, and that, you're not going to get a lot of those narrative stories. Fans aren't going to get a right. lot of those narrative stories of right. of things in the game that, that have changed because simply because a lot of those players aren't going to say much on, on the Zooms. Usually you, you get that stuff in, in one-on-one settings. So it would be, yeah, it'd be much harder to do the job. It was kind of, uh, you know, very grateful for the job, but it was kind of a, a, at times this year a slog because you're just sitting on these these zoom calls for, it seems like forever, man. You mean it? Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, God, I, God willing, I hope it returns to, to normal in 2021, but obviously those, I can scream and yell as much as I want, but those factors are out of my control. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you've always been a good friend of the show. Um, always, you were very generous today. I told you 20 minutes, but when I called you and you, we were here almost an hour and, it was a great segment, a good way to put a bow on the 2020 Mets. And buckle up, my friend, because I have a feeling – I don't think it could get as crazy as sign-stealing, Beltron-fired, new manager, new manager again, and then all the other stuff that happened leading into March. But I have a feeling you're going to have some stuff to write about, whether good, bad, or indifferent. So buckle up and uh, enjoy your time uh, covering the Mets in this offseason, my friend. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Like, are you really going to jinx us that early against last off season? I mean, saying it can't get that busy. I everything mean, I say, everything I say, good, bad, or indifferent, gets reacted to somehow. And uh, you know, you you're taking your life in your hands on social media, even coming on this show. So the fact that you did that, you deserve a gold star because uh, who the hell knows what people are going to say about the things we say on this? So. Um, it's it's a lot better to write for and and I'll tell you a quick you know I'm holding you up but I was during the pandemic I have newspapers.com and I was just doing some search on some old stories you know just to kind of pass the time on sports and on newspapers.com when you look at some of the out of town newspapers during similar times in sports where big news was happening the lack of uh, and you having gone to school in another part of the country the lack of content. Uh, not too long ago, I'm talking about. It's not like 25, 30 years ago versus New York is astonishing. It actually took me back because I've only lived in New York. So I guess it's a fun right. thing that we live in here instead of somewhere else, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, uh, that's what I've always appreciated. Love the West Coast, but everybody just cares here. You know what I mean? Like sports yep. are sports are an interwoven, you know, um, thread of thread of, of everyone's lives in, in some way. And people care. And hey, you're looking, you're talking about, you know, 
love, hate, and difference. The people on social media commenting and, and all the nasty words, you know, it's better. They, they say the opposite of, of love is in hate. It's indifference, right? Yeah. So, so, so words one way or the other at least mean people care. Well, Justin, get on with your Sunday. Watch some football. Enjoy this, some nice weather out there. We'll talk again, and, and be well, my friend. Yeah, you too, Mike. Thanks for having me on, man. Take care. That's Justin Toscano, the record, at Justin C. Toscano on Twitter. All right, let's take a quick break, wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, final thoughts. Really good segment, I thought, with Justin Toscano. Really easygoing conversation. And we could have went on a lot longer. There's so much to talk about what happened in 2020. I just realized we didn't even really get uh, deep into the Ahmed Rosario conversation. And, and we could have certainly gone deeper into some of the free agents. But we're just really warming up for the off season, So... So what's the plan? I think that's what uh, we've talked about. You know, am I going to go off and take a little break while the rest of the baseball world is uh, playing out the postseason? Well, here's what my plan is. I am working on uh, a broadcast that certainly I'd like to have in the next week. Uh, So the plan is to be back here in about a week if I could pull off, you know, a nice historical look back that, you know, we're working on. So stay tuned for that. And then, yes, um, I think we may take a week or so off. Just as the World Series comes around, uh, just to take a breather, because as soon as Steve Cohen is named, and he will be named the owner of the Mets, and Sandy Alderson will probably have some sort of introductory press conference, virtual of course, Uh, but regardless when that all happens, I think that's when the fun starts, because who's going to be the general manager, are there going to be changes, Uh, can we get an idea of what the actual philosophy of this organization is going to be right now? We're all just throwing some stuff up against the wall. We don't know. So that's really where it's at. I think that's the next phase of all this, and that's when we could really have some fun and have some uh, real good discussion. Not, you know, this pie-in-the-sky speculative discussion. You know, not that we're that far off, but you know what I mean. It's 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 going to be a lot more honed in on, on exactly where this team is going. It could have a much more intelligent conversation. But there is more to come. Uh, we're not going to go dark for the month of October, there is going to be a Talking Mets podcast, so stay tuned for more from your good old buddy here, Mike Silva. I want to thank Justin Toscano of The Record, at Justin C. Toscano on Twitter. Of course, you could check me out all the time at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. You could also go to the TalkingMetsPodcast.com for all the editions of the show. You want to get me on Apple Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, geez, got a little tongue-tied there. Whatever podcasting service you desire, of course... Interact with me individually at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Just send me an email, MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Be back with another podcast soon. Till then, take care, everybody.